The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are dealing with serious addiction to opiates, heroin, or something else, you know what a toll it takes on your life and the lives of those you love and who love you. This is A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope. You'll hear from host Tim Ryan about his long journey from a winning life to losing nearly everything he had, including his 20-year-old son. All from addiction. Now, Tim has a purpose to educate others about the devastating effects of addiction and how if you are one of the millions of people who have lives that have been affected, you can turn things around today. Now, here is Tim Ryan. Good morning. This is Tim Ryan with Man of Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. We appreciate you tuning in today. Today, I'm really excited. We absolutely have a, a wonderful guest on our show, uh, a dear friend of mine by the name of Suzette Papadakis. Hello, Suzette. How are you? Good morning, Tim. How are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about who you are and what you do. How long have you been in the addiction field? I've been working in the field since 1997, Tim. How did you, uh, what made you decide to get into the field? Well, I'd always had an interest in psychology and helping others, and um, this field actually really chose me. Um, Every place I ever worked, um, I just encountered addiction and people suffering and their families. What path were you originally taking when you were uh, in med school? Well, I was interested in neuropsychology. What made you opt to get out of that and get into the position you're in right now? I really enjoyed uh, working with families and just helping them learn what was going to happen to people and helping them be, you know, get recovered and just be the best that they could be. So when I came up with the title for this show, The Real Side to Addiction from a Clinical Standpoint, you know, there's a ton of treatment centers out there. There's a lot of people that, uh, you know, say they're clinically sound for you. Can you give us a highlight of what your background specifically is? What makes Suzette Papadakis the executive executive clinical director of Banyan Treatment Center Chicago? Well, I have a background in working with people. My career started out in working with people who had brain severe traumatic brain injuries. And many of those people also had substance use disorders happening at the time and helping those families and those individuals. Um, and then also the mental health aspect. Um, I worked in many group homes with DuPage County and DuPage County Psychological Services and um, just really felt passionate about people recovering. I'm also um, a Gottman certified therapist and working with people and couples that there's an addiction going on for one or both of the individuals. So let's talk about when you're, uh, you say you're a Gottman, what, what makes Gottman certified? impressive. Uh, 
it is a very rigorous training process. Um, it, it composes of three different um, seminars. It's long-term um, consultation with someone else who's certified. It's uh, the institute viewing videotapes of you with actual you know, couples with their permission, um, stating that you completely understand how to utilize that methodology, which is the only evidence-based um, family and couples therapy that, that has been around. It's got over 40 years of research backing um, the process and interventions. How many Gothman certified counselors are there in the country, let alone the world? Um, about a year ago, there was 209. 209. So you're one of 209. Yes. That number may have increased at this point, but yes. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty powerful. And you also have a, uh, MS and LCPC and NCC. Um, you've got to talk about a little bit about some of your, uh, experience with, unfortunately, um, Sandy Hook shootings, Virginia Tech, Northern Illinois University. Yeah, so I also am EMDR certified, um, trained in level one and level two. So I received an award from the American Counseling Association for my pro bono work that I did um, in helping people with the Northern Illinois and Virginia Tech tragedies going in and providing counseling services for the families, the faculty, um, just the people that had been traumatized going in as kind of a first responder and stabilizing some of those situations. How does someone in your position, Suzette, when you're going in and, and dealing with uh, a lot of death, a lot of tragedy, people that are maimed, families that have lost their families, how do you process that for yourself personally? So you're able to go home and, and be a mother and, and a spouse and, and all the things you do. How do you process that? Well, the training that I've received over many years has been very helpful, but also, you know, I see somebody. I go for a private consultation when some things get to you and, you know, you don't want to take that home or have that transmitted everywhere. Um, Self-care is very critical. I have a horse that I'm able to lease. I've got, you know, children that I get to see smile um, typically I go out and I go for a great run and, uh, that helps me clear a lot of things out of my head. Except when you run and, and fall into a <laughs> hole and mess up your leg, right? Yeah. Recently I did, uh, accomplish that feat. That's okay. That's okay. But you're still smiling. So tell me currently, Suzette, what is your exact position and what do you do? What's Banyan Treatment Center? What's Banyan Treatment Center, Chicago? Banyan Treatment Center Chicago um, was a wonderful opportunity that um, I agreed to kind of take on. It is a substance abuse or substance use treatment facility that provides excellent outcome-based care for patients and their families. And, you know, what really makes us unique is that we're smaller, there's lots of individual attention for not only the patient, but for their family that suffers as well. Um, they receive psychiatric care while they're here, awesome medical care, um, and they also can, you know, are in group therapy, which we use experiential exercises. We get, up, we get people up out of their chairs doing things and experiencing things, um, being very creative in the therapy process as opposed to the traditional let's just sit and talk um, and do education. Most of our patients 
it's not an education piece. It's a disease piece, and it's about doing something different, not just sitting there and analyzing it. So when you say experiential, what would a well, give me a scenario on, on what that might be. Uh, you know, we might have people get up and, um, you know, let's sculpt your family and put people in different positions and talk about, you know, what was that like? And, you know, how did your disease process or using, what what does your family look like then? Um, adults learn by doing. And, um, you know, one of the things that's really important is the creative process um, that these people are able to do. If you cannot be creative, you can't envision the future without the substances that you've been using for so long. Where have you seen from getting in the business 20 plus years ago or the industry to where it is now? What's different? I mean, addiction's addiction, whether it's alcoholism, it's, it's pain pills, it's heroin, it's crystal methamphetamine, it's sex, it's uh, gambling. Have you seen a progression with what's happening now uh, with your type of clientele you see? I do. I see the mortality rates of people increasing um, with heroin and opiates. Um, just more people are dying so much faster. And so the job of intervening and getting treatment earlier and quicker and effective treatment is paramount um, for this disease process to stop. Because if you don't intercede, we know that the end result of this is death. So when you say effective treatment, you know, what makes Banyan Treatment Center Chicago different than what else is available in the state of Illinois? I think the smaller groups, the individualized attention, the holistic approach with working with families and couples and children and really looking at the entire system, not just the individual Um, But they also get that care as well. Um, And then also being able to work with people long-term. You know, long-term treatment has the best outcomes for people. If you've been using substances for years um, to all of a sudden think in 30 days or 60 days, you are going to, you know, have those symptoms resolved, you know, you're just kidding yourself. There's just so much more involved in that. You have to change every aspect of your life. And that takes some time to do. So... How long can someone come to Banyan Treatment Center for? Because I know most of the facilities in Illinois, even with good insurance out of network, it's three to four weeks. Yeah, that was one of the things that was very appealing uh, to me to come to work for Banyan Treatment Center was that we offer long-term care up to 90 days um, for a lot of our patients. And after that 90-day process, we work very diligently with the individual and with the family Um, to make sure that they've got wraparound services and care that can continue. You know, that's very critical. And I I happen to be, have the opportunity to work with you on a daily basis. And and we were just at our Florida facility uh, having a management meeting, but we were talking about outcome studies. And, And when you bring up the, is it the six criteria from ASAM? Yes, the six dimensions of ASAM, which is the American Medical Society on Addiction, has determined six different dimensions um, that we place, we place people um, into treatment, into various levels of care. So what I often look for is how many of those dimensions have resolved? How, how symptom-free is this person? How 
far are they into you know the recovery process as opposed to the disease process? What do you feel about you know recovery in itself? Because I'm obviously in recovery a little over four years clean and sober, but you know I struggled for 30 years mm-hmm. and I I couldn't. Uh, I always saw it in the back of my head. You know once. I get a little more money in my pocket or I get this better job, things will be different and I can go drink like a normal person or or use heroin like a normal person and it took me down and down and down. But what do you look at when someone is, is, you know, hitting those criteria and ready to leave Banyan or any other treatment center? What are your hopes for that person? My hope is that, you know, they have a creative process going on in their brain that they can envision a future without substances, even if it's just for that day or that week, um, hopefully longer than that, but that they're motivated to live a life with their families or maybe, you know, work on getting a family if that's what they want. They have a job, they're contributing, that they feel happy and comfortable in their own skin. Um, and have the ability to self-soothe without substances. So when, let's go a little deeper here, do you suggest or would you recommend that people attend um, not only a, a either a 12-step base or a Christian base or a smart recovery or a refuge recovery, some type of recovery program and still see a therapist? Absolutely. You know, the, the continuing process of recovery, you need community around you, whether that's 12-step, refuge recovery, you know, what, whatever that community is of people who understand you and, you know, everyone needs their team around them that's like, you know what, we're not going to let you go down. We will go out and find you and try to help you. Um, and being motivated, seeing a therapist as well is critical. Um, there's a lot of wreckage that's caused by this disease process and it takes some time Um, to work through those steps and to just live life. And a lot of times you think you've worked through those steps and then you go, oh, no, I forgot something. I need to add that in. And having someone to talk through that with is really important. You know, I was going through our our daily summary and and our treatment center had taken some individuals on a 12-step retreat this weekend. In reading the notes on, on how some of these people, it gets me emotional talking about it, because whether you call it a spiritual awakening, this is something they've never experienced. Being on a weekend retreat, you know, doing a 12-step based recovery meetings, but really bonding with people and seeing people that are 10, 20, 30, 40 years sober that still attend these retreats twice a year, you know, it, it gives them their mojo and their their jive to really say, you know what, I can do this. Um, I see though, the the people we're working with are getting younger and younger and and they started using at such young ages 12 13 14 years old and they're attempting to to get clean and sober at 19 20 24 26 and once you get the drugs and alcohol that out that's great but there's so many other variables to it isn't there oh absolutely you know the opposite of addiction is connection and that's connection to other people, that's connection to the world, that's connection to a power greater than yourself. Um, that, that's so critical. So, what, um, my, my thoughts are whirlwinding right now because when we, 
we come back, I'm going to want to bring up a, a topic that's controversial, you know, um, maintenance programs, hmm. um, you know, Suboxone, Methadone, Vivitrol. And, and I think when people talk about MAT or maintenance, um, they think just Suboxone or Methadone. They don't know about Vivitrol and, and what's going on out there. So those are some of the things, you know, I want to look at here. Um, Boy, you get me thinking about this stuff. There, there's so many areas I want to go into with you here. Um, and as, you know, I'm the chief marketing officer for Banyan. I'm, I'm executive director and founder of a Man in Recovery Foundation. And I never wanted to be that guy where someone called and said, I need help. And, I, oh, you don't have insurance. I can't help you. I mean, we're helping everyone. The, the homes we've went into. Yeah, it's, um, it's exciting. And, and I want to talk about our journey, how you came into my life and, and what we've done. Um, heck, we've known each other almost three years now. And a lot's happened in three years. Um, it, it, it's crazy. But, uh yeah, my head's whirlwind and on the on the maintenance and you know there's a lot of controversy and even our new president and what's he going to do and you know he's not even in office yet but everyone's trying to you know I that's why I got to stay in today and and figure out what we need to do here. Um but we are going to be taking a break right now. Uh, this is Tim Ryan with Man in Recovery Radio. If you do want to call in and ask Suzette or myself any questions, please give us a call at 866-472-5791. And we will be back in a couple minutes on Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, From Dope to Hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. Welcome back. Tim Ryan, Man in Recovery Radio here, taking people from dope to hope with my uh, guest, Suzette Papadakis, Executive Clinical Director of Banyan Treatment Center, Chicago. Uh, you can check her out on uh, the website, Banyan, B-A-N-Y-A-N, Chicago. Um, and if uh, you have a loved one struggling out there 
and you need to uh, get them in with the uh, the right person that can do the right things. I would highly recommend Suzette uh, Papadakis. But I first want to start out, Suzette, we've been uh, friends and became, uh, I don't know if it's business partners, colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, we met a little less than three years ago. I walked out of the Illinois Department of Corrections December 16th of 2013. So we're coming up on three years since I walked out of prison. Um, And if you ask why I walked out, I went in because I had overdosed while driving, hit two cars and almost killed four people and was given a seven year prison sentence. The way they ran the sentence, I ended up doing 13 and a half months. Uh, My wife had divorced me, lost her house in foreclosure. My my son was still in active addiction, and I got out and uh, was looking to set up my foundation, but a, a friend of mine had asked me to start a Heroin Anonymous meeting, and I started it, but then you know people were saying, hey, well, I'm on benzos, and a mother came with their daughter, can I came, and then you came into my life. Mm-hmm. Want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, that mutual friend uh, approached me and said, hey, you know, you really seem to understand addictions. You're one of the best family therapists I've ever worked with. Um, is there any way, you know, I've got this friend, his name is Tim Ryan. Is there any way I could uh, have the two of you meet and maybe you could volunteer your time to run three family support groups and, and help us out here? And so I said, well, yeah, I, I love doing that. So I love working with families. I love helping people get into, you know, recovery or, or education or anything I can do. So I jumped at it. I said, yeah, let's let's rock and roll. Let's, let's give this a try. Um, I think a year and a half later, I didn't know that I would still be doing a Thursday <laughs> night group. Um, and my family, I think, missed me. Um, but they also were very understanding of the value and the importance of working and helping the community with this epidemic going on. And at the time, you were running your own private practice. Yes, I had my own private practice here in Naperville, um, doing what I love, you know, working with couples and individuals and doing EMDR therapy, you know, having a good time. So I had set up, uh, we started running the support groups. And I can remember, you know, our, our groups is that would have maybe 10 people, a few parents, a few addicts. Now we're running... Six of these, um, our group in Naperville, Illinois, you know, we can have as little as 40 people. We can have upwards of 120, 130 people. But I think the largest group I had 100 parents at. And then we have the addicts and parents come at the same time. And and you occasionally will, will pop in and pinch hit now because uh, you're, you're you know, the executive clinical director of Banyan and, and you do have a family yeah. you need to spend time with. But... So I started the foundation, and then I started uh, as an outreach coordinator um, for Banyan Treatment Center. And about a year in, I said, hey, you know, you ought to see what this company's about. Because I can remember you would drive me around everywhere. Hey, let's go (laughs) see this place. Because I'm trying to understand the treatment business. I was a technology recruiter for 23 years, so I needed to understand what an IOP was, what PHP was, what Medicaid, what Medicare, what's in-network, what's out-of-network, why should I get an HMO or why should I get a PPO policy? And I can remember we left the facility and we kind of looked at each other and said, well, maybe we should get our own treatment center. And fast forward, you know, I had uh, said, why don't you go down to Florida and meet with Joe Tuttle, the CEO of Banyan Treatment Center, and you did. 
What happened after that meeting? Well, after meeting um, Joe Tuttle at the treatment center and just seeing the treatment that Banyan offers from the person who answers the phone to the owner of the company, um, every person I met with there, I experienced something different. Um, The way the clients were treated or patients were treated was different from what I'd seen at many, many treatment facilities. It wasn't just Bob walking down the hall. Um, Bob was cared for walking down the hall and they were smiling and um, just the level of care that people received um, was just really outstanding and the dignity and respect that the patients were treated with um, just really hit me um, and how much the staff cared. So when you came back, you were originally going to help Banyan Chicago get set up, get the licensing (laughs) and pass DASA, and then we could go find a clinical director and you were going to do your own thing, right? Yes, that was my plan. I loved my work in private practice. Um, I was just passionate about it, but I thought, oh, you know, I can help them write some paperwork, uh, find some space, find some uh, some of my friends. Well, fellow clinicians that might want to come and do this. So what happened? Um, ownership kind of happened. Uh, you don't get that invested in helping something get set up to then say, oh, yeah, go ahead, guys. Um, there was something about like, okay, you, you guys can go and you can run this, do evidence-based care, um, set it up how you think it should be done and, and pick your team and go with it. And there was something appealing about I could offer something to the community here in working with Banyan that didn't exist anywhere else. Um, and I saw, I was able to see the need um, and was passionate about helping families and uh, people suffering. So let me ask you a question. In Illinois, treatment is very regulated. I mean, in Florida, I could go get a degree and I could be a, a clinician with felonies on my background. Um, due to my DUIs and liking to drive without a driver's license. In Illinois, I can't do that, can I? No, it, it's quite some time uh, after being, you know, being off probation and being out of, you know, a prison system and things like that. It's quite some time that you'd be able to get licensed. So to open this center here and to work with me specifically, what did you have to do? I had to uh, do a special schedule um, exception to the state of Illinois um, to allow you to kind of be in this treatment space on my license. And I thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, I, I even get emotional about things like that because, you know, my son, when Nick died on my 21-month sobriety date, you were one of the first people I called, and, and that was there for me. And then we started getting things going, and then, you know, my daughter Mackenzie was born uh, with Kirsten, and then she had a, uh, a breakdown and, and attempted suicide when Mackenzie was four months old and got her into treatment in, in a chaotic and, and found out she was undiagnosed bipolar and, and took a long time. But outside of us growing a business and all this, you were always there for me. And and I, I thank you. I love you as a friend. I am honored to be able to work with someone of your caliber. You always make this comment. I, I like things because it's brain candy. You're constantly <laughs> learning. You're constantly watching CNN or MSNBC and wanting to know this and that. 
And for a guy like me that had the 1.4 grade average and the 11 on the ACT to be sitting here as chief marketing officer of Banyan, executive uh, director and founder of Amana Recovery Foundation, um, traveling the country, doing speaking events with people like Brandon Novak and Matt Gannum. I mean, it's truly an honor. It, it really is. And, and this is a gift from God that he put us together to be able to do what we do. But I look at the clients that leave our program. Matt D. Mm-hmm. And is now 14 and a half months sober, living in Arizona, calls me yesterday and says, hey, I'm putting you down as a reference. I'm, I'm getting my first apartment. And he was one of my son's friends. And, and all the individuals, Kevin F., that has, you know, just turning their lives around one day at a time. And you were instrumental in that. You were very instrumental in that. And it's it's really exciting. And, you know, to, to dial back just a bit, you know, I had many people approach me saying, what are you doing? Why would you do this? Um, Go deeper with that. Go deeper with well, that. Well, I had people question, why, why would I work with Tim Ryan? Why would I be willing to put um, credentials in my career and reputation on the line? And my answer was, in doing the support group with you, um, I was able to see how you are able to reach people and help people that sometimes clinicians can't initially reach. Um, and then you would bring them to the clinician and say, hey, I'm not a clinician, but here you go. You, you kind of go, here, here's a safe landing ground. Um, and then we were able to work with them and bring them to hopefully a healthy place you know, with their willingness and I was able to see there's sometimes there's people I can't reach and this guy can reach them and he really cares. And there there was something about that that was very important. Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of our future guests, uh, my partner, Detective Wistaki, who is a cyber crimes expert, and we do a program called The Cop, the Convict, and the Kid, and we run The Cop and the Convict. But Rich... Um, actually flew down to Florida and, and met with the Joe Tuttle, the CEO of Banyan, without me knowing until I got a phone call. But people were saying I, I was one of these headhunters and I, I got paid to put people in treatment per head. And, and Rich looked at my contract and said, no, he's a full-time salaried employee. He gets no commission. He gets no bonus. And boy, did the tides change when Rich did that. When you started standing up and saying no, and now, you know, we've got a great relationship with a lot of, uh, you know, our treatment partners out here. And there is no hidden agenda. But I think, you know, this, this my personality coming out of prison, I didn't want to, you know, ever have to go through that again. And I figured I might as well start helping people and, and try to kind of get in their face. So, hey, don't make the same mistakes I did when I was 21 in treatment. I wish it wasn't. Oh, don't drink and go to meetings. You'll be fine. No, you need to break this down because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. So I can truly understand what living recovery is. And it took me 30 years to put recovery number one. And and the doors have just opened. Um, Man, I really look at what's happened in such a short amount of time. And I sit back and I mean, here we're doing a radio show right now. <laughs> this is kind of cool. You know, recovery doesn't fucking suck, does it? It does not. It's pretty amazing um, to watch and um, just be part of the process in people's life. It's a gift to be on part of the journey with these patients. 
um, and their families, and it's it's just amazing. Well, I, I think the families, too, because we, I'll use Chris, uh, a friend of ours who three years ago, two and a half, when Chris was put into my life, I mean, she didn't want her kid to go to jail, and she is trying to hide the heroin from the police, and when he first went to jail, she said, Tim, this is the first time in years I've been able to sleep. But I see Chris now on how she is taking care of herself and is living her life. And, and what you need to do is, and she's at every support group. She, she's been there since day one. And she takes care of herself um, and lets her son, you know, he needs to be responsible for his addiction. But as a family member, husband, wife, brother, sister, you need to own your recovery. You know, my father had learned from that wonderful organization, Al-Anon, years ago. I didn't cause your disease. I can't cure it. I can't control it. And my dad said, I'm not contributing to it either. Um, and there's such a powerful standpoint to for people to learn that they own their health care. They're responsible for it. Um, and, you know, parents or loved ones, like people need to be responsible for their own disease and recovery process. They own that. If uh, loved ones and family members continue to own that or do that for them or judge it, um, people can't get better. You have to own it for yourself. No. There's so much empowerment that can happen there. And that's what I see with when you're running the family groups through Banyan, you know, once a week and, and seeing the, the person struggling with substance abuse and the parents or husband or wife there working jointly. But then I see, you know, God forbid if that person falls and they're saying, you know what? No, you can't come home. No, I'm not giving you I'm not bailing you out of jail because you made this conscious choice to go use. And the bottom line is, as an addict, we're creatures of habit. It's easier to gravitate back towards what I know, my comfort zone, getting high, doing drugs, drinking, instead of saying, you know, no, I need to call someone. I need to get to a meeting. I need to talk this through. Um, But if you're talking it through with you know, six people that are six weeks sober, you guys are going to talk yourself right into drinking or doing drugs. Sure. But I think it's not just the addict that's comfortable with their old process. I think people in general, until they've had enough pain, and I think that includes loved ones and family members and friends, are also comfortable in doing what they've always been doing until there's enough pain and they can understand that what I've been doing isn't working. And if I continue this, it not only hurts me, but it hurts the person I love. Let's talk about pain. Mm-hmm. Pain is is different for different people. I had a very high pain threshold. Um, and not that I was unique, but I always worked. I, I made a, a good living, but I was really having to support my drug habit, my wife and four kids. Um, but for me to go to jail or, or lose a lot, I haven't had a driver's license in 15 years. Um, of course, I do have a, a company car and a full-time driver today. But... Yeah, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, and thanks for all the driving around you do too, Suzette. But, you know, my pain was in a prison cell, dope sick, weighing 158 pounds with a $500 a day heroin habit and drinking a handle of vodka a day. And I will never forget the smells, vomiting on myself, defecating myself for weeks on end. And that's right. You know, I looked up and I said, God, higher power, whatever's up there, please take away this obsession and compulsion to use. And I swear I'll turn my will and life over to you. 
and I have done that, but I still attend meetings. I still do all the things I need to do, um, but I will never forget that pain. And I think, I don't think I know when I would forget that pain because this is the only disease that will tell you you're cured. Mm-hmm. And okay, things are better. I'm, I'm a year sober. I can't tell you, you know, since my son's passed away, we're at 98, 99 funerals I've attended in two years. Nick passed away August 1st of 2014. Um, the people I see passing away are the ones that were 17 months, 17 and a half at a mess and, and mm-hmm. went and used, um, that are coming out of a sober home or coming out of jail. Um, but then the daily users that are, are, are passing away are the ones I'm seeing that are, you know, getting into the fentanyl and the car fentanyl. And it's... Uh, yeah, and sure, some of them are doing that and they don't even know exactly what they're getting. They don't intend to, to overdose and die. Um, and the people that are trying and struggling with the cravings and um, everything, you know, those are the people that are passing away. It's the people who have been clean and their brains become opiate naive. Those are the people that we're losing. Yeah, and it's uh, it's heart-wrenching, but I see all the people that are turning their lives around. If you want to call in, it's 866-472-5791. Um, this is Tim Ryan on a Man in Recovery radio, taking people from dope to hope with our, uh, our guest, Suzette Papadakis, Executive Clinical Director of Banyan Treatment Center, Chicago, Illinois. We're going to take a break. Uh, Prior to the break, though, if you need to check out a Man in Recovery Foundation, you can check us out on the web at www.amirfisandfrank.org, or you can reach us at 844-611-HOPE. That's 844-611-4673. We will be back in a couple minutes with Man of Recovery Radio. This is Tim Ryan taking people from dope to hope. As we age, our health can decline. For some, it's a slow, even process, while for others, it can happen at a much faster rate. The health decline can start in people as young as their 30s. Did you know a lot of age-related diseases can be prevented, reversed, or eliminated? It's true. You'll find out more every week on Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's your life. Keep it going well. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. You are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. 
Savannah Recovery Radio, Tim Ryan, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time with our guest, Suzette Papadakis, Executive Clinical Director of Banyan Treatment Center, Chicago, uh, BanyanChicago.com. We are going into a subject, Suzette, that, uh, you know, the whole country, in my eyes, is, is jumping on the bandwagon, the, the maintenance bandwagon, you know, uh, Suboxone, methadone's been around for years, and a lot of people don't realize, you know, a gentleman by the name of Adolf Hitler used to use methadone a lot when the troops were fighting, and if they were injured, because methadone is a high-end painkiller. Um, and in 2002, Suboxone came out. And I can tell you, when I was struggling with opiates, heroin, um, I went into a methadone clinic in Chicago in 2001. And I said, at the time, I got about a $100 a day habit. And the doctor said, take methadone, you'll be fine. I said, is there any withdrawal? No, you'll be fine. In about four or five months on, I said about 85, 90 milligrams of methadone, having to go to Chicago every day, stand in line, feeling degraded. And my wife said, Tim, you've got to get off this. You're evil. You're angry. So I quit. And I got so, so sick. And I had to call my dealer. And I said, Ray, what do I do? He said, dude, you got to get right back on heroin. And I had a needle in my arm within two hours. And then I got on the Suboxone. And when I was on Suboxone in 2002, I had a doctor in the Wrigley building. Uh, he'd meet me for five minutes, give me seven pills, and ask for his $500 cash. Um, and it was cheaper for me at the time to go back to heroin. And then I'd get Suboxone and basically used it to keep me not sick when I didn't have heroin. What are your thoughts on all this well, it's a complex area here, but, you know, methadone, those those evils have uh, been well documented in the literature, you know, for many, many years. So I'm going to move on to Suboxone because it's actually a little bit more um, commonly prescribed. You know, it, initially it was prescribed to help people with the withdrawal effects coming off of heroin or any other opiates. Um, and so, you know, in a detox situation that seems completely appropriate um, to help people with these horrible symptoms. However, um, to continue that substance over the long term, currently there are no long-term medical studies stating what the side effects will be on the body um, for using Suboxone long term. And so that's quite frightening uh, to me as well as you know, meeting with many psychiatrists and other providers, you know, what I've been told by one provider was, well, I won't prescribe more than seven to 10 days of it. And I said, oh, really? That, that's interesting to me. This is a very well-respected psychiatrist here. He said, well, the potential of abuse and selling it and using too much is just too high of a liability for me. So I, w I won't do that. I thought, huh. That's that's interesting. I kind of answered a question for me there, you know. Yeah, you know. But let's take it even even deeper. I think we were talking yesterday. Was there something that someone had mentioned or you had read about it now getting into your bones as well? Well, when I was at the second annual addiction symposium here in Chicagoland um, with a lot of MDs and psych providers. One of the things that they were researching and discussing was how Suboxone was making bones be very fragile and the lack of long-term studies for this medication. Um, you know, yes, we want to end an epidemic and help people live, 
but we also want to be able to educate the consumers of the product of those possible potential long-term side effects. And currently, we don't know them. And and we don't know them. And and I tell people, do your get your damn education. Do your homework. Look at the company that makes Suboxone, Subutex. Um, you know, they profit billions of dollars. The company actually makes household cleaning products. They tried to corner the market and have a patent put where no one could have any generic versions. Don't tell me this is about, uh, it's not about money because it is. Have I seen some people on Suboxone become successful? Absolutely. Um, but what I do see, too, is the people, there's there's some Facebook groups. Uh, there's one called SubSuck, S-U-B-S-U-X. They have a website, too. And read these stories of these people that have been on these drugs five, ten years and are trying to get off now. Um, from your standpoint as a clinician, what about the emotions of an individual on Suboxone? So what I've seen with many patients, and I saw this in doing couples therapy uh, pretty frequently, is that you know a person who is taking Suboxone, um, there's just, just just this piece of emotional flatness and this inability to connect um, with their significant other. And could that be symptomatic of some other things going on or the long-term process? Yes. However. It just seemed much more difficult with the patients who were continuing to use maintenance therapy. Understandable, understandable. Um, And what I see today is what that psychiatrist you're talking about, the the people that are selling, you know, a pill of Suboxone on the streets, 10 bucks today. That's a bag of heroin, maybe two bags of heroin. Um, And I see some of the the clinics around us where they say they offer treatment and outpatient. No, they don't. They're prescribing pills and, and, and these people are now hooked on it. In the past year and a half, I've probably... I don't know, ballpark 60, 70 people I've had to send down to Banny in Florida to get off of Suboxone. Um, I had a few that I had to get off of 100. Uh, one guy was on 220 milligrams uh, of methadone. We had to send him to a specialized facility in, in Tampa, and he was in detox for a month. Um, people don't realize what these are doing, but the, the whole country's jumping on it. Maintenance, maintenance. You know, my view is you can't treat uh, an opiate addiction with another opiate and you can't cure a spiritual malady with a pill. And unfortunately, we could take it even back to when Oxycontin came out and Purdue Pharma in 1996. And oh, no, only 1% of the people would become addicted. Well, we know that's a catastrophe. And, and we've got a major opiate epidemic and it's fueling the heroin epidemic because the cartels are saying all these people are hooked. Forget doing cocaine. Let's flood the streets with heroin and let's make it pure. So when they start one bag, they're hooked and and, and there's no coming back. Um, I don't know what the answers are, but there is something else that Banyan uses. What's that? We utilize Vivitrol, and what I really like about Vivitrol is that it's not mind-altering. It's not mood-altering. There are no withdrawal effects coming off of it. Um, and people who utilize opiates, you know, it really, it block, it sets up a, a blockade in the brain 
So when you go to use opiates, they're not effective, but it also helps with the cravings. So someone is then available to do therapy and to do the work in changing their life. Um, instead of sitting in group or you know with a therapist or going to a meeting and all you can think about is using, 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 I'm craving, I'm craving, I'm craving, this gives you this aha moment and some time to hopefully get through a whole year of every calendar event of, you know, oh, St. Patrick's Day, didn't think it'd be a big deal, but oh my gosh, it was. But I was able to get through it in a, in a better fashion with being on Vivitrol, with going to recovery meetings, with meeting with my therapist, with, you know, working on changing every aspect of your life. The brain, the frontal lobe becomes available for thinking and creativity when before it was locked with obsession and compulsion. Well, and I noticed too, when I bump into some of our clients that have gotten the Vivitrol shot and in a day or two or three, they're saying, oh my God, I'm not obsessing and compulsing about doing heroin or eating pain pills. I can actually have clarity and and focus on what our clinicians are talking about. And while this thing called uh, the big book or whatever they're reading, I, I'm grasping this and, and I have that clarity there because it's just a tool, but it's not an opiate like Suboxone, like methadone. Right. It sets up that blockade in the brain um, that doesn't, you know, it's not mood or mind altering. And, you know, it's really neat when I get them in the therapy room and I'm able to look at them and they say something to me and it, it sounds just like I'm finally able to breathe. Um, and just the relief that's on the person's face is just, um, it's just a beautiful thing. And and I'm adamant, you know, I've got some, some friends out there, um, Chad Sabora, who, who's in Southern Illinois, who's, you know, a big um, maintenance fan, and that's okay. And I love Chad, and I love what he does. And, you know, he kind of flowed, well, we got to keep people alive. Well, yeah, we do, but... You know, I look at a lot of these people, and they're they're really not living a quality of life. They they might not be doing opiates anymore, but they're drinking, they're smoking weed, they're doing cocaine, they're doing ecstasy. No, we need to get people into recovery, um, but that's why we need longer treatment. You know, ninety day programs. People need to be in a sober living community for a minimum of a year. You know, I have we we have two people that I know that work for our organization that were in sober living homes for two and a half years and, and really grasp this and, and they're not taking anything. They didn't do any maintenance programs. Not that they're they're not needed. I'm not knocking that. But when I see the government jumping on and, and, and well, now doctors can prescribe more. We have a, a doctor up in the Northwest suburbs who who does not like me because I don't support Suboxone. And, well, I've got all these great outcomes. No, you don't. You get paid by Suboxone to go speak all over the country. You are getting paid to push their product. I don't get paid to push Vivitrol. Um, I don't get paid to do any of these things, you know. But if I can be here sober after trying all this gamut, I truly believe anyone can. But that will also get into the mental health side real quick. A lot of people struggle with underlying mental health issues. About 85% of the population um, has a mental health issue who also have a substance use disorder issue. Um, there's a very high correlation and you need to treat both of those aspects and get them stabilized. 
um, while they're while they're in treatment. But it takes some time to stabilize that mental health condition if there is one, because the brain and the body needs to be clear of these substances before we start throwing all these diagnoses and medications and all of that. You need to make sure that you know that you're accurate. You're accurately diagnosing somebody and treating it accurately. So, and that takes some time. Because um, depending on the substance, it takes takes some time to clear the body. So, you know, I just received a comment. Uh, listening to your show, spiritual malady, it's a brain disease. It is a brain disease, and it's a disease of the body. Um, there is something about being connected, as we had spoken earlier, there is something about being connected to something greater than yourself. Um, and that can be people, that can be the environment, that can be you know, church that can be God as you understand him or her, you know, there it, there needs to be something greater than yourself. And I think the spiritual malady piece sometimes gets misinterpreted to not be part of the disease process. It is part of the disease process. Um, the terminology comes from, you know, a different time and a different era. So if we kind of modernize that a little bit, it's, you know, being connected to something greater than yourself. Yeah, you know, and I was a guy that was spiritually broken, but I will go uh, by a little 12-step base program that starts with an A and ends with an A. And there are 23 million people worldwide clean and sober at this exact moment due to that program and getting a relationship with whatever their higher power is cleaning their side of their street, walking through their resentments, their fears, their shortcomings, their sexual deviant ways, um, making amends, getting out of themselves, keeping a relationship. I was spiritually broken. But, you know, you do not treat an opiate addiction with another opiate. That's like telling an alcoholic that's drinking a fifth of vodka a day, here, just drink 12 beers a day and you'll be fine. It's delusional. Um, but that's my own personal views. And please remember, these are my views, but I'm the guy that is going into these homes, dealing with these hopeless, desperate parents and people struggling with mm-hmm. substance abuse disorders and being able to guide and direct them. I don't see many successes with, with Suboxone or Methadone. I just don't. But I would like to thank our guest, uh, Suzette Papadakis, Executive Clinical Director of Banyan Treatment Center in uh, Naperville, Illinois. The website is Banyan Chicago. Um, if you would like to reach out to Banyan, it's 844-4-B-A-N-Y-A-N. They have a facility in Pompano Beach, Florida, state-of-the-art detox in Stewart, um, the Naperville slash Chicago location, and our partner, Matt Gannam, runs a facility out in Boston with Joe Papa. And then we have a Man in Recovery Foundation, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. Check us out on the web, www.amirf.org. If you would like Tim Ryan or any of his crew to come out and do any speaking events, uh, we run the Cop the Convict the Kid. We do motivational speaking. You can follow us on Twitter, A Man in Recovery. You can go to Facebook, um, A Man in Recovery Foundation, Tim Ryan Motivational Speaker. We've got a lot of good things. A couple upcoming guests. We're still coordinating with Dr. Drew. Uh, we're going to have Sandy Swenson, the author of Joey's Song. Uh, we're going to have Detective Rich Wasaki. We would like to thank you 
for tuning in today to A Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope. We'd like, again, to thank Suzette Papadakis. Thank you for having me, Tim. Thank you for having us. Please tune in next week, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. Have a wonderful day. This is Tim Ryan taking people from dope to hope on Man in Recovery Radio. This has been A Man in Recovery Radio from dope to hope. Please join Tim Ryan again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of our program. And remember, there is always a future, always hope.